listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC, and I'm joined by my good friend, Jason Wingrove. So, yes, we've, we're catching you between uh, trips. Everybody uh, should appreciate this. Just the guy has like 48 hours in his home, and he is giving up a precious 45 minutes to talk to you here on the, uh, the, uh, the RC podcast. So, thank pleasure, you, Jason. Pleasure. Wouldn't, 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 wouldn't not. So, look, before we get into the news, uh, I'm going to blow your trumpet because I think the work you're doing at the moment is terrific. We can't really discuss the job in any depth. Uh, hopefully we can when it's uh, finished, but I will say... No, it's not you've like been Avatar basically... 2 or anything, but, you know, still. No, but you've been travelling around the world. In fact, uh, well, where have you just been? You're allowed to tell uh, us Yeah, that, sure. Just been to uh, South Africa, Mozambique, um, Chile, and London. Do you know how many countries you'll have been to when you finish this No project? idea. <laughs> but it's going to be like a dozen. <laughs> the kind of stats more, that right? I could have prepared before air, but there you go. No, no idea. Wow. Uh, then going to do Australia, and then after Australia, two weeks, then another two weeks round Asia, KL, uh, China, Singapore. Um, yeah, and probably something in there I've forgotten. But um, yeah, no, it should be interesting. It should be interesting. And I probably shouldn't say this because I'll get you in all sorts of trouble, but I will. Uh, I have seen a little snippet of some of the footage that uh, my friend has shot, and it's awesome. It's the sort of footage that makes me just go, Jace, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, I was actually quizzing you. I was like, literally, I saw Jace yesterday, and I was literally quizzing him like, like I would if I was trying to take notes to learn because, oh, let me think about this for a second. I was trying to take notes so I could learn how <laughs> you'd done it. It's like, man, how do you get it's, that stuff? It's simple. So anyway. it's just, I mean, I just, it's just, you know, being in great locations, just some amazing places, you know, some fantastic yes. kind of almost freaking lunar landscape kind of uh, places in, in Chile and um, like in tiny, tiny, tiny little one-room houses in villages in Mozambique and just with light just coming through the window and just... Some great faces and great people. So no, it's been a been it's, from, it's a from blessing, a really from a cinematography point of view. You are using natural light predominantly. You have no choice. Indeed, it's a crew basically of two, um, and yeah, uh, just because of logistic, logistically probably, and just because of you know we're again as usual sort of in minimal aircraft and just run and gun and just really quick and a crew of two or three it's back to the uh, classic 5d and uh, just a whole bunch of prime lenses and you got a sound recordist and a producer and presumably some other entourage type people uh very you- very minimal in the entourage people i have one um um shining light of a creative director who's fantastic and has been um uh, just a joy to work with, and a sound, uh, basically, you know, someone to catch sound, and uh, a producer to um, uh, kick buns and and um, get us out of <laughs> all manner of immigration and um, visa hell, and recover lost baggage and lost camera gear, and uh, yeah, organise all the money, guns, and lawyers. Yeah, I think the thing is though that uh, the footage. You've described it. Sounds like you're filming just you know lunar landscapey sort of landscape type stuff. But in fact, the stuff that uh, that really seemed to shine in your work, apart from that work, was the humanity of some of the obviously non actors that you were filming. Yeah. And uh, and some of that, I, I, I mean, I know this from first hand experience because obviously we did uh, Moving Day with you, your short film that, by the way, has just been nominated for some other amazing award. Okay. But um, uh, 
but it was the way that you were dealing with some of those children, those African children, and uh, just the humanity of their experience. Just amazing. One ch- yeah, no, it's it's so, it's so humbling to go and sort of visit that area because you really sort of um, had kind of imagined it to be quite a, I guess you're sort of hesitant when you go into those areas thinking it's going to be really quite negative. But I tell you, it's been such a... Such, such a, a humbling experience and the people who you know virtually have nothing are just so incredibly you know um we we went to this uh, school in um uh in south africa and uh, literally you know the villages are almost like simple you know brick uh cinder block one one room one room sort of houses and uh but the you know the kids are all being taught these fantastic lessons and uh, the teachers are really engaged and, you know, they're all being taught things like, you know, I'm special and I speak a foreign language, but I am worthwhile. And, you know, it's just a really, and that was not all put on for us because we were there. It was all very, you know, we could hear it from the other room. So it was really, and all in English. And uh, so it was really very, very humbling to sort of, you know, step outside your own square box and, and sort of see what the hell the rest of the world's, you know, got to offer. I think the the thing is that the what you're capturing, which I think is so magnificent, is I mean, let's face it, these children just are beautiful. There's just uh, it's just oh, there's it's beauty just in their faces. That's amazing. It's amazing. But it's also the whole thing is is well, I guess joyous is the word. Yeah. I mean, there's just there is not there is a sense of optimism and future yes. uh, that I was not anticipating to get from your work. Excellent. So, and this is of course well, that's actually the. So the key of the it's basically I'm I'm shooting a, a, a really big um, corporate video essentially which is you know outside of my normal realm of regular TVCs and welcomely so but uh, that is actually the key word of the almost the title of the of the project is to do with the future so yeah no it's appropriately so but uh, again that that connection you've made is completely by chance and not through amazingly um, talented planning or anything it's just uh, just the way it yeah, goes. you know, the the more uh, I prepare, plan, and train, the luckier I get. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Failure uh, requires so, Failure requires no planning. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, anyway. Um, but, but you know, reality—it's uh, all the fact that we just can move really quickly and and, and um, uh, not be hampered by a larger crew. I know I've banged on about this for a while, but you know, I mean, like sources for courses, there's other jobs where, of course, you want the full entourage and everything, and that helps you get through those days. But these days, where we're doing 10 locations a day and interviewing, you know, 15 people, 30 people a day, and you're after the lovely light and you, you know, and reality, you need to be able to move quick. So, literally, I just caught these couple of little girls just having a hug in, in a corner of the room, and the light was coming through almost front lit right through this window. and just caught them and um, literally I could just take three steps, turn on my camera and, and you know, shoot and, and I didn't have to get five people out of the way and ten stands and light and position the light and everything. It was just, just happened to be and the fact that I could manoeuvre and manoeuvre myself pretty quickly um, just meant that I could catch that little shot. So. To take nothing away from your rather epic uh production um i was shooting today in the city and uh it was a uh, run and gun and i just funny little rat hole uh, anecdote so, <laughs> so we're filming uh, actually it wasn't no, it was uh, 5d and uh so i had to there's an intersection in, in our city in sydney that is huge and it's one of those intersections that they close off both streets so you can walk diagonally across at a 
major city street. So you can imagine the shot, right? I'm going to walk across delivering dialogue, uh, mic'd up to radio mics, and on the other side of the street, through the people, there's a camera filming me, which is like lower than head height, so you get a lot of you know glimpses of me. And I'm wearing bright red, so I kind of stand out to the audience, and I deliver this line, which is all to do with the intersection and where I am and the building behind me. Okay, so so that's the setup. So we go to do the first take, and I just at the second I'm just about to walk, this busker behind where I'm walking to just puts down his amp, plugs in, switches on, and just starts singing, you know, Cat Stevens really loudly, right? And it just was such a good amp that it was so well picked up by my mic. So I walked across the street. And I said, "Look, uh, can I uh, give you, um, <laughs> like, basically pay you to not play?" Do you know the <laughs> he word? was like, <laughs> do you know "How to play?" <laughs> Sounds of silence. Like, do you know how to play? Not at all. Yeah, so I said, uh, so if I, you know, can I pay you to not play? And he goes, kind of offended, how long? And I went, I don't know, four or five minutes. And he went, yeah, all right. Now, the, the fundamental error here was that I did that slightly loudly than I should have. Um, so then I walked back to set up for take two now. And it's, you know, it takes a bit of time because of the lights. And so we go to film the second take. And this guy selling a uh, magazine. Now, I totally applaud the magazine. It's called The Big Issue. It's, it's a magazine sold by homeless people. It's a way for them to sell and make money. This, well, this guy who's selling this magazine <laughs> with a satchel goes and stands right in front of our lens just as I'm about to do the take. And my uh, DOP guys goes, uh, could you move, please? He goes, no, fuck off. <laughs> and so I can see this going on, even though I can't hear what they're saying from the body language. And so on the radio mic, I go, uh, buy a magazine from him. And my guy's like, what? He's like, buy a magazine. Just give him money because <laughs> he saw me do it to the busker. And so sure enough, he gives him like the five bucks for the magazine. And uh, the guy goes, yep, have a nice day. And <laughs> takes a big step to the left. I'm like, okay, the cost of shooting on this corner is approximately two bribes. Um, I'm thinking. Uh, Excellent. But that's and good. no you know, council that's, permission. That's, no council permission. But, no. you know, obviously fees were paid to people that deserved it, being the busker and the uh, homeless And the guy magazine guy that told you to fuck off. Lovely. Yeah, but yeah, I got to give him marks for entrepreneurialship. You know, like there's money to be made by standing in front of lenses and being paid off. So you quietly just take a step to the left, and then he acted a bit like security, right? <laughs> Super enthusiastic at this point. Like I was just really worried that he was going to punch somebody who tried to also stand in front. It's like I've I've got the job for five bucks of stopping someone standing in front of this lens, mate. Um, a bit like the Rolling Stones when the uh, the Hell's Angels decided to invade the stage and then protect the Stones from mm, I don't know the, the Hell's Angels. <laughs> Um, anyway, let's get to the news um, and cross to the news desk. And now, the RC News. And Jason, we don't have a lot of news this week, do we? We have a bit of news, but not a lot. Not. I was sort of panicking that while I was going to be away that it was, all the news was going to be piling up and I'd have a ton to catch up on. But really, I haven't had much of a task. Looking back through all my sort of sources and blogs and my spies, I had really very little going on. You know, in any world, in red or or, or otherwise, I probably the only um, major red, um, I suppose, announcement you could call it, which is something that we were aware of a, a fair few weeks back, I guess, is um, James Cameron purchasing fifty Epic M's for. Well, it's not actually said, but presumably for uh, Avatar two, and I guess he's doing two and three together, is he? Mm-hmm. And and we believe it's doing it at 48 frames a second, uh, as in uh, the Hobbit's approach, so being able to shoot higher speed as a standard speed. Yeah. And so what you get is, of course, that idea of um, uh, a more immersive experience when uh, stereoscopically projected. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, I mean, it makes it makes good sense for him. I'm sure he was investigating, as we know, other other camera systems. Um, and obviously this is the camera system that could do what he needed to do with the frame rate and be compact and work in 3D rigs. 
So yeah, gets it gets which is probably like I don't know it's like three or four hundred million dollars worth of camera gear basically when you when you put your money down for fifty epics. Yeah, I'm thinking you'll probably get a discount if you're a Cameron and you're buying fifty, but you know. <laughs> but then, having said that, you'd probably buy a lot of extra bits and pieces, wouldn't you? I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be lots of associated stuff. Yeah, but that's you um, know, just rummaging down the back of the couch for Mr. Cameron. Yeah, exactly. Um, though there's no particular timeline on that that I'm aware of because uh, this is not... I mean, obviously, you would do this deal well before you started principal photography, so I don't yeah. think the signal's an immediate uh, thing. But also, we've been heard that this officially makes no difference to the production uh, cycle. In other words, this isn't like going to suddenly cause everything else to grind to a halt. Yes, which is obviously um, particularly most most people's concern that uh, well, you know that uh, a highly highly decorated and Academy Award winning Q jumper would affect everybody else. But uh, obviously, yeah, it's not to be. There's plenty of people actually uh, sit in in, inter- in interim since our last show that have. Uh, there's plenty of Epic Games uh, pouring out the door there for people. I mean, there's still people in the queue. There's still people who want them that haven't got them yet. Um, but you know, that's rapidly diminishing list. Um, even people who have yes. been um, asking for a long time are still are actually now starting to. Uh, I, I hear starting to get their getting their cash uh, out of the bank. Yeah, which is great. We're glad to see the community expanding. Um, yeah. And there's audio now working in the systems and the, the releases. I think the official release is 144. It's current Epic uh, right. official release. Okay. Um, so, yeah, probably, uh, obviously sound was one of the main things, not being able to record sound on the camera, but that sounds like that is uh, fixed now. And then in the very latest build, uh, video playback, though, obviously, from the body isn't still happening, is it, Mike? Uh, no. no, that is coming, yeah. um, and I've been talking to Red about that, and they're aware of that. Yeah, um, no, sure. And but that wasn't, you know, epic. The uh, Alexas weren't able to do that, and they were well past their official release, and plenty of them were in the field. Hundreds were in the field before they um, switched on the playback, uh, video playback mode from Alexas as well. So, yeah. I think the one that we'll get before the playback, and I'm just taking an educated guess here. I think the one we'll get probably next, the most uh, that I'm certainly waiting for, is uh, is the QuickTime codec, um, which will re-enable kind of a proxy workflow. Right. Yes. Because uh, I'm, I'm taking an educated guess here. Yeah. Because at the moment you don't don't, get don't any, quote me. Don't quote Red. Yeah. You don't get dragon. You don't get any sort of uh, drag and drop ability into Final Cut Pro that you used to be able to. I guess. No, though one of the things that interestingly I'm setting up at the moment, which uh, is awesome, again a bit of a, a rat hole. Um, I'm setting up our uh, my Flame Suite to take in through its um, uh, setup of uh, systems a uh, feed to a Mac that's got the Red Rocket card in it. It's called Gateway, so my Flame will be able to open the Epic files natively. Uh, across the network, which is the sort of stuff that we see once the SDKs come out, that they kind of spills out into yeah. the color correctors and the, the gear and stuff. And so this is important, I think, because what you really need is to solve the post pipe. Uh, I think the the problem that Red One slash Red have is uh, the perceived difficulty in terms of post-production, mainly coming from, I think, probably ill-informed attempts to do it on the cheap and that sort of tripping people up. Yeah. But you know, we do need to see a fairly widespread adoption of um, 
some good post practices. And there is definitely more to be done in this area in Epic. And I'm not saying that Red doesn't know about it. They're working on it. I've discussed that in the past. But I still think that uh, we're going to see a lot of growth in the next coming months with uh, what's happening in terms of the post-production gear. And I'm going to say I'm doing I'm doing a story at the moment on FX Guide. Um, it's a bit early to talk about it, but about where I think this will end. And I've got permission to discuss that uh, publicly. And so we're doing talking to a lot of people at the moment, um, key people around the world, actually, for that story about where we think the end game is for the Epic. And uh, Red is helping with that as well. So when that gets close to publishing, I'll let you guys know. Excellent. Excellent. So Gateway is, is a flame piece of gear. Mm, right. Yeah, so Gateway allows the Flame uh, to use the Mac as, well, a Gateway. And so what happens is that uh, my Flame is a Linux box, for example. Uh, it couldn't handle ProRes, so the Mac would do the ProRes. Uh, it also, of course, being a Linux box, doesn't take in the Red Rocket card natively and do that kind of stuff. So, again, I would be able to open those files on my Flame and it would use all the processing power of the tower with the Red Rocket card hitting the R3Ds um, in much the same way that RCX does, but obviously it's much better for me to be able to access directly from the Flame UI right through to the R3Ds uh, of the Epic right. natively. Okay. Oh, actually, it was, there was some sort of minor news, but but it's questions without notice because I haven't got it on our little run list. But um, the Technicolor um, color preset for uh, DSLR for Canon, for Canon, I guess, 5D7Ds, have you had a look at that, Mike? I haven't used it partly because I'm in the middle of a production. I didn't want to change anything, but I'm keen to have a, have a look at the uh, Technicolor profile for uh, for 5D. Yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly enthusiastic about this. Uh, we're currently putting together a piece on that, um, which we'll put up. Uh, basically, um, the way that it works, in the past we've had these profiles on our 5Ds. You could make them yourself or you could get some downloaded. And so what tended to happen is that people made up some good guesses and those good guesses were available on the net and people would grab them and try and use them. And sometimes with good results, sometimes uh, not so good. Some of them are not up our alley because I know you and I, Jace, we don't tend to like to bake in looks at the camera level. So if somebody came up with a black and white version that did a sepia tony kind of thing or something, yeah. we're unlikely to bake that in at the camera level um, now the idea of a Canon camera at stills level is to shoot raw but at the video level you have to have something baked in and so what we were trying to go for was the most neutral thing we could possibly do this is I think pretty much unique in that uh, it's actually sort of an official thing done in conjunction with Canon and as, a su as such it works incredibly well and by uh, giving you a tonal range the way that it does and we'll discuss this more uh, next time we talk when we've done our video tests and can show them to you you're getting much more detail in the blacks uh it's really um it's a, it's a big step forward if you intend to do post-production on your images now I, I want to stress this because if you're not intending to do post-production on your images then this isn't for you so let's say i had a picture of a room um with a bookcase and a you know window out that sort of thing i'm going to have a flatter looking image but more detail in the blacks as my look yeah. that is not going to look better if i want to immediately post that on youtube this would not look better than what i'd be able to get out of the camera with the normal settings that's not how it works. But if you do want to use the uh, Cine-style stuff, and it's available off the Technicolor uh, website, um, it's going to provide you with something that is great for grading. Uh, so this is what you really want. This is what you um, kind of – like this S-curve uh, approach is, is huge. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm incredibly enthusiastic that they're doing this. I do think this is really almost a bit of a tease insofar as – 
we see this, we really feel like going, oh my God, well, why doesn't Canon just go the whole hog and give us like, you know, so much more? But yeah, it's definitely, um, I think it took 12 months basically from Canon and, uh, and Technicolor talking together to this coming off. So this is not like a, you know, a hack. This is like a proper yeah. well done thing and reflects the fact that Technicolor as many people did, just didn't realize how much 5Ds would get used for production oh, for stuff pretty much like you're it doing. It's just massive. It is massive. Every time I look around, someone, you know, more and more I'll see on air. It's a huge, it's a huge change. I mean, as, as I guess stuff as um, Alexa, uh, you know, perfects things and uh, I'm seeing a little bit more of stuff outside of DSLR, but uh, definitely it's just, it is massive, particularly for, for, for small stuff. But now that we've got F3s and, and as soon as FS100s and stuff like that start to come into the market and people, there's a little bit more of a, you know, more grown-up methods of getting shallow depth but um, without having all, 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 of the, all of the issues. I guess, they all, I guess all of these, as long as it's a compressed um, format, you're always going to have this issue of, um, you know, trying to... to screw as much information and get as much grading range out of a compressed image as possible. Um, I guess it's only a matter of time until I suppose there's profiles, you know, that maybe Technicolor will develop profiles for other things as well. Well, what's happening with this is, you know, you load the Technicolor uh, scene style on your camera and then you still want to set the camera up to have sharpness at zero and I think they recommend contrast minus four, saturation minus two and color tone zero. And interestingly, though, I, this is one point I do disagree on them. They are recommending multiples of 160. Now, as we tested, yep. um, the, there is no inherent ISO on the 5D. The 5D has hardware gain and adjustment uh, so that as you skip along between about 100 and 800, there's not much in it. And then it starts to shoot up in uh, noise. Now, Technicolor is recommending shooting at multiples of 160. I think that's going to fan the flames of the... Uh, misunderstand no the, the overemphasis on how much you gain from doing that like I think having multiples of 160 sure it's a good idea don't think it's that important if you look at it statistically uh, you're not getting big differences between something that's at uh, like a 200 to 320 to yeah. 400 this dip you get at 320 is not as big a dip as this might imply so yeah there's nothing wrong with them yeah. recommending multiples of 160 but that's not where the action is okay so then very technically you've loaded this- correct if you're going to be totally pixel pe- pe- pixel uh, peeping yeah, there is but a it's slight not, noise floor no. difference between the two. Not much. Okay, and then you basically get this uncorrected Technicolor uh, Cine-style image. Now, of course, it's all geared to Technicolor's workflow, but anybody can do it. And then you run that through an S, uh, basically, curve LUT. And there are quite a few options here, including Stu's, um, I'm going to say LUT bitch, but that's the wrong name, right? Uh, what is it? Um, ah, uh, God, what's it called? Um, LUT. I don't know. I don't know. No, LUT buddy, I think LUT it is. LUT buddy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, anyway, it's uh, LUT buddy, yeah. Okay, and then you run that um, S curve LUT, and, and that S curve is going to give you the corrected image that you might expect. Now, you might say, well, why not just go straight to the corrected image at the first place? And of course, then you're shooting a perfect world with perfect lighting, with perfect everything. Uh, you could do that. But the whole idea of shooting this more uncorrected, um, sort of flatter image is that it does give you opportunity to grade to somewhere different. And so, yes, the S-curve will give you a sort of a more contrasty picture back to what you might have got out of a Canon out of the box. But that's assuming optimum settings, optimum performance by the DOP, and not wanting to stylistically take it anywhere else. Whereas, of course, when you've got the slightly more uncorrected-looking image, uh, 
then you've got a lot more flexibility of where to go. But don't be confused. You're not shooting raw. You're not going to a full uh, raw-type workflow. The fact that it's called a raw, uncorrected technicolor image, bit of a misnomer. So I totally applaud them, but don't read more into this than there is. Um, I wonder what the real gains are, though, really. I mean, because I've been using Stu's, um, you know, basically his 5D, uh, slightly modified version of his, you know, flattened 5D um, mm-hmm. setup, which is pretty, you know, is pretty simple. But I'm just really wondering how much more there is there to, to get to glean out of the pretty minimal, you know, information there is anyway. Just by sort of, it's a more linear. It's a more linear uh, transfer curve. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I honestly think we should go into this more next time, we've, because then we'll have images to show everybody. And this is, I, I'd be really happy to explain all this but I, I feel like if I explain it now everyone's going to yeah. go well it's very hard to understand what that diagram yeah, is like and we'll have pictures to show you the not comparison. much of a major gain but if there you know if it comes to, oh if, it's if good is, it's then, worth you know, doing probably should, probably should should move to it if yeah. you like going to Stu's stuff I think you're going to like going to this now I don't know if he's I should just check this as we're speaking I don't know if he's posted on ProLost um his official opinion on it I imagine he has because uh, I know a lot of people would be wondering what his position is on it but uh, I, I definitely think it's a it's a worthwhile move. Actually, no. The last thing I've no, seen is shots no. of him in a yeah. space outfit. Not, but yes, um, right. but I'm sure he, has he may have by the time we go to air. So yeah. So anyway, I look. I think it's uh, it's really good, and uh, definitely want to applaud the guys for doing it. Mm. And I think it's, but it's also a bit of a, a tease because it's like, well, if you can do that, can you just go properly and go the whole way and go, giving us a really cool mega thing, please. Yeah, no, sure. Um, well, it all feels a bit like we're just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic in terms of canon. Because I presume, I'm, I'm sure that any moment they've got something far more professional to offer us. Okay, so the official answer from Stu on on that story is: Is there any advantage to Technicolor's light for Cine style over his own curve adjustment? And his answer is not really. Although theirs is lovely, so. Um, <laughs> so there you go. If you are if you're a stew user, you're like in the of that workflow. You're a prime candidate for doing this. Um, but also, I think for many people, it's really reassuring that this is happening um, with Canon's blessing. So uh, that's reassuring. And also, obviously, people that are involved with Technicolor would enjoy it because it's uh, got their stamp of approval and mm. feeds well into their pipeline. But it's definitely worth checking out. Don't get me wrong. Cool. Right. Oh, as we're talking, I just got another epic delivered here. Oops, I shouldn't say that. Um, mm-hmm. Ignore, I just said that. Um, so, uh, yes, interesting unboxing happening in front of me. Um, so, in my office, I have a glass wall in front of me, which means I get to um, feel like a fish in a fish tank sometime with uh, the fun things going inside <laughs> the wall. My producer's going to hand me a note any second telling me to get back on track, so I will. Um, so, other news... Uh, do we have other news from other quarters? Hmm. What other news do we have? Um, well, we, I guess we... Um, uh, not really. <laughs> do we? <laughs> no, other than, than me smashing cameras, I guess. Um, yeah. Yes, well, no. that, that's mm. your story to tell. Yes, yes. Nice. Just, you know, tip for cinematographers out there that uh, may not realize this. This is definitely a real gotcha, one of these things that uh, we like to flag because oftentimes people don't realize that, uh, you know, you can get yourselves into trouble with this. Not a good idea. Now, you might think it is, but it's not. Not a good idea to face plant a Cook 75 millimeter on the back of a red one into a concrete floor at speed. Mm. 
can do some damage mm. in certain circumstances. If you are somebody that's thinking of doing this, we'd recommend that you do a lot of testing f- beforehand yeah. because you may discover that it smashes your 5D and your 75 mil uh, yeah. cook. Try other surfaces first before you go concrete. Yeah, preferably uh, you know, very big pillow. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Close Not cell foam. A concrete. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. air cushion in zero gravity. Did you take photos? Uh, yes. I, look, I didn't publish anything because, quite frankly, no, I don't take need any to. photos. Maybe. <laughs> Not really. Sort of. It's, it's very truly upsetting to me. Oh, it, was truly, it was an accident Horrible. and it and it was uh, shouldn't have happened and uh, not my finest hour. Mm. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, so other things uh, of interest. You know, we were talking last week about uh, wooden camera. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. I went and bought them. You, you know, I you don't have to good. buy everything I recommend on the show because often it's just oh. a mention. You didn't buy that. Yeah, it's, yeah, I did, actually, and I thought it was really good. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it's great because there's audio now running on the Epics, and so uh, you have two options, of course. You have the option of feeding audio into your Epic from the plugs at the front, and you'll have options to use an I.O. module. Now, the I.O. module will give you, I'm pretty sure, XLR inputs. Yep. Um, I wanted those now. Because while we quite often shoot with radio mics, uh, and obviously I could feed one of those in through a um, sort of a what you well, it's a, what is it a quarter inch jack? What is it called? I and mean, there's a proper name for it. It's like an iPod phone on the front, like, yeah, eighth inch, yeah. eighth inch, eighth okay. inch or um, whatever. Yeah, mini jack, mini jack. Yeah, okay. So there's two mini jack inputs. So this the uh, the wooden camera guys have a convert eighth inch to a really nice. Um, XLR with a very solid mount with solid proper seals and everything. Mm. So that, and also some really nice uh, top plates. And I've got the top plate as well, which I have not used as much as the audio stuff, but um, I noticed that uh, Tom Lowe, who also has an Epic, has uh, been using his top mount from those guys. And I've got to say, I I use their small top mount, not so much the big one, because uh, I've got a handle for my Epic. So that handle attaches. It gets a bit crowded on the top there, doesn't it? Because there's only well, there's it doesn't. If you put this little bolts on the this mini plate on, it works really well. You've got lots of options then, and I can put all sorts of things on there. So it's a crack up. Anyway, that's um, me taking your advice and uh, being glad that I did. So Excellent. thanks to the guys at uh, Wood Camera who actually FedEx that to me very quickly Excellent. after I placed my order. But I will say I bought it from them. We uh, we're happy to buy stuff when we think it's good value and it's good stuff. Um, the other thing I wanted to flag, if I could, Jace. Uh, now we've sort of left the news and drifted into um, this other place. <laughs> is uh, for people that are interested in uh, the RC, we've got a couple of pretty interesting RC-related bonus videos that we've posted this week to uh, FX Guide. Now, I did this because Jason was away, and so we knew we were going to be a little uh, short on for for actually uh, doing as high a frequency of the RC as as we have in the past. So on the main website, if you go to the main fxguide.com website, there are two uh, video stories that might interest you. One is when uh, you and I went and shot with the Pancros, and the other one is to do with the Kessler motion control slider. But yeah, the uh, the Cook Pancros. I thought I'd just discuss that one first with you because uh, we put an edit in of something that you shot with Tyler using the uh, a couple of the Cook primes. Yeah, that was good. Actually, it's good to have because they are a sort of a more, if not everyone's not entirely familiar with the Pancros. They're a sort of smaller, lighter. Obviously not as fast, but they're a smaller, lighter version of Cooks. Give you that Cook look without um, having, you know, being a little bit more epic, sort of form factor friendly, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, very, you know, really nice pieces of glass. And what was fantastic is that literally in like the bright, shining sun of um, 
uh, of Vegas, of the Vegas uh, backlot of NAB and, um, you know, the, the epic monitor in the sun and um, very NDs shut all the way down. Um, I could still, you know, focus was easy to pick. It looks really nice. Images look look gorgeous. So, yeah, no, they're 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 a gorgeous um, gorgeous lens. And as I say, you can get that sort of that sort of really lovely, almost hard to describe kind of. They just call it the cook look, but uh, it's definitely there. And it's great. Tyler had a had a play, and I had a play, and that cuts all well together. And it's a good little good little edit. There's some good stuff. You've been posting a lot of videos lately. It's excellent. Yeah. The only thing I'd say about that is that. Um I I wish we'd had that HDRX on that one. We didn't because we were sort of deliberately doing it without it. But I feel like a couple of those shots, the highlights weren't protected as much as possible because we had so much difficulty judging. I literally had just not brought with me the uh, EVF bomb. So the guys were judging it off the LCD in the bright sun. Yeah. And that would have been... At 120 frames wasn't possible, but obviously we could have done the uh, non-120 frame stuff easily uh, with HDRX, which would have protected our highlights much better. So I don't know that's the best stuff we ever shot. Um, and I feel like I kind of let you down by not having the right kit with us. But it was nice shooting with the lenses. And I've got to say, um, the best I like stuff those. I've ever shot of wheelchair basketballers uh, at, oh, at 120 frames a Vegas. second. Uh, um, what do you think about them being 2.8? That's the thing that it seems the controversy about these lenses. Yeah. They're absolutely stunning, but they're 2.8. Yeah. Look, you know, I mean, that's probably my main sort of bugbear and it is a little bit hard. Obviously the smaller the lenses go, it's, um, you know, obviously it's sheer physics. You need a larger piece of glass to let more, let more light in the front hole. And, uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for being a complete, wide open depth of field Nazi and just give me as, as wide a faster glass as possible and as softer BG as possible. So, you know, they're not my first choice, but, uh, you know, I would probably, but when you do look at more compact, faster glass like Zeiss super speeds, they definitely sort of show their age, those lenses. There's very little, uh, there's very little sort of choice in, in small compact glass that is really fast unless you go with stuff like, you know, like Canon L, you know, just stills glass. Um, for some reason, there seems to be when you go to big, big cine size lenses to be able to get the to get the sharpness that's that's required. Uh, you you do step up to a larger piece of gear. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Um, look, I think that uh, I'm. See, I'm I'm sort of torn because I have had lenses that are cheaper and better on uh, initial viewing. Yeah. Not necessarily that they look better, but you know they're better because they're like faster or whatever. The yeah. thing is, having just smashed a cook and then had cook immediately jump to uh, help fix it, repair it, solve a whole lot of problems. Yeah. And they are so well engineered. Now, some, there's a lens I've got that I've had for ages, which is just not well engineered, and I kind of. Look, the images aren't, aren't bad out of it, but they're not as uh, good. And I feel a bit like there's, I don't know, it's a bit like buying a car or just buying anything that, you know, there's the obvious things that you're comparing it on, like, say, the speed. But then there's also these other things to do with support, service, build quality, mm. you know, surviving. If I was renting Yeah, which is lenses, a slow burn of sort of realisation. It's a slow burn. Of, um, yeah. You realise uh, I kind of made a mistake there. Yeah, and of course, if you're going exterior, 2.8 isn't too bad. Um, but yeah, 
they would simply argue if you want to go fast, go to S4 or S5. And I would kind of agree with them, though, sure. if you say they are getting to That's a bigger glass. A huge difference. I say kind of agree to them. A huge difference. And, you know, we were, we were literally, when we were shooting that, that stuff, literally we just grab a lens, run outside, and just go shoot something random. And it, again, we were shooting reality, and we were moving along the sidelines of a basketball court and, you know, changing your position and changing your shot every every 30 seconds. And, uh, you know, the epic is, if it's if you're on tripods, it doesn't even probably matter what your, what your um, you know, what your lens is. But uh, S5s and, and um, S4s on the epic is just, you know, it's just, it's very, very front heavy and becomes quite unwieldy and gorgeous and you get the speed, but, you know, there, there is a payoff. Well, you know, we were, I mean, I, there's definitely one huge thing about these lenses, which is just undeniable, which is, as you say, the Cook look. Yeah. And they're actually using Cooks on the new Martin Scorsese film. And I think in that video that I posted, uh, Les was saying, or, or after we filmed, I can't remember if we stopped when he, he said this after we stopped filming, but uh, they were actually shooting on the S4s, and, but the S5s and the Pancros because uh, they, you know, it's a Martin Scorsese film, they can happily shoot whatever mm. they want. Uh, but there was no noticeable difference at all between those three lenses once you're at, say, 2.8. So at 2.8, you couldn't tell the difference. And in fact, right. they fell in love with the uh, Pancros because 2.8 was fine and they were small and they're so good. And they're shooting and, 3D, uh, right? So if you shoot 3D yeah. on a Steadicam, there's going to be quite a different um, you know, weight between a Pancro and an S- S5. Or, and you've got this great calibration between them in that, you know, they are actually what they say they are. Like this is the that sort of thing I talked about, like sort of service and support, that they actually are so well engineered that you've got a lot of correlation between two lenses, which as you and I know from shooting stereo, it's quite often really quite hard to get good matching lenses. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff there that Cook is bringing to the table that I think goes beyond the just immediate glance at what the uh, f-stop is. True. So, so how how I mean how critical is it though the matching of the th- if you obviously if every every you you know you always got one lens that's going that's being pushed through a piece of glass and reflected and flipped and is being subjected to change you're always going to have to have a consistent you're always consistently going to have to do some grading and matching to to correct one lens against the other. Oh, what well, you're you're thinking now color, but I mean start thinking about focus mm-hmm. um, and having accurate focus between them, having an accurate pull focus between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the actual bearings and the structure of them right. mean that yep. they yep. work want, really well. Everything needs and to in be sync the same. No, the breathing needs to be the same. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you want to line up in stereo. And, and on top of that, there's obviously things like just sheer lens aberrations, yep. uh, lack of chromatic aberration, yep. uh, consistency in terms of the glass just for... Uh, uh, curvature and stuff. There's there's a lot of things that you would really like to have good between two lenses that a couple of Cook Primes is going to give you. And they're just, that's what you're mm. getting. Like you're just getting well-engineered, bloody well-made glass. Yeah, I guess other manufacturers are going to make every lens to spec, but not necessarily to match the last lens they made. You know, it just has to be up to spec, not necessarily up to, you know, cross-matching one lens to another because that's where, I guess, where the... Where the cost well, comes you know, we, in, we've yeah. discussed this before. When they when they get, let's say you get a Cook Pancro and it's you know you hold the done thing up and it says it's at um, I don't know twelve feet or something, um, you know, which is like completely reasonable. You go, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's all good. 
Um, well, that isn't because somebody says that that lens should be at 12 feet. That's because somebody put it on a bench and sort of focused it at 12 feet and then with a little chinograph mark and kind of went, there you go, 12 feet, and it's hand-etched. And that's the difference. Yeah, okay, okay, I guess so. I guess there's a lot, few more criteria beyond the simplistic stuff of color shift. Yeah, I guess. Because obviously you're, you're dealing with this in the very practical back-end way of, of uh, consistently doing 3D match. Oh, you're so kind not to say geeky, moronic, kind of like obsessive <laughs> no, getting, way. Hey, um, right. the other one is the uh, – now, the other one that you were there for because you were filming was the uh, Kessler motion control mm. slider, mm. Uh, which um, – now, that was a bit of a jury rig at the day. I mean, I was very keen to actually uh, film with it, so Eric was really nice in doing that, though uh, I should point out that that was a bit of a jury rig as to how it was set up on the booth, oh, not sure. how it was set up um, in terms of the – the motion control, but like just literally how the tripod was kind of set up that was supporting yeah, it. That's definitely a video um, worth having a look at because it's sort of there's a lot of information there that we can't sort of really impart here, and you really have to see the rig in action. And uh, uh, I think, I mean, apart from any anything, apart from the fact that it's you know his his up to his you know usual impressive build quality, and the fact that he thinks about this stuff, he's not just a, a geek who can build; he's actually out there. You know, he's working with people who are consistently using his gear, he's connected with his users, he feeds back and, you know, he's, you know, he's a, a thinking sort of shooter himself, um, is that the fact that I think this is actually outrageously cheap, isn't it? Like comparison. It is outrageously cheap for what it is. Yeah, we're talking like five, 6,000. Yeah. And this is, um, this is unheard of. I mean, it would, you know, 12, 15 would be considered a cheap rig. Um, obviously, at the other end of the spectrum, well, you know, you're into telephone numbers. Uh, but, yeah, this is a dramatic drop on what we've seen before. And so I was worried when I interviewed him, prior, or sorry, prior to interviewing him, about the quality of the motors. You know, would they have enough torque to be able to give the consistency that we wanted and the repeatability we wanted? And, uh, and especially because I'm keen to set this up so we're not necessarily using it as a horizontal slider motion control rig, but actually more diagonal and vertical right, and or, stuff. Yeah, or, and, uh, yeah, to do sort of, um, it's like crane ups as you track. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're fresh, remarkably, just, uh, those the, motors can run. Perhaps we should just back sure. up and just overview of the rig, right? Essentially, it's uh, this is essentially his kit is a, um, I guess it's a tripod-based track or a track system, a modular track system that can be all packed up for portable use, motion control, with a uh, pan tilt, uh, pan tilt head, and I guess it's, I think it's all. Um, um, programmable, controllable uh, wirelessly via uh, any IP device, I think. Well, it actually goes further than that because it's a multi-access uh, device that also uh, would control focus and stuff. So you could actually do a motion control targeting. So we, we targeted it in the video so that it aimed at the camera that you were filming us on, Jace, which turned out to be a bit of a boring shot, but anyway. Um, and so as I moved along the slider, it always pointed at your camera. But imagine I could do a shot where it was... Uh, traveling across uh, in real time or as a sort of a slow stepper thing for a time lapse but uh, it's moving and it's pulling focus and it's uh, panning tilting and uh, this could be going straight vertically up and down because the motors are that powerful and the motors are powerful enough to hold a camera considerably larger than an SLR so we could put an Epic on there so you can imagine that's one of the things I'm really Mm. interested to do you might have to change the base bracketing but if you could be pulling focus uh, changing uh, direction, fully controlling that from like a tablet, iPad-y kind of setup. Because that's one of the problems that with motion control most people don't appreciate is it's actually a bit of a curse to set the bugger up and understand what it's doing. Without that graphical user interface, just trying to program it. I mean, anyone that's 
programmed a GoPro will understand what I'm saying <laughs> when I say this, right? Like two or three buttons yeah. to get in the date. It's like mother f- <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas, the, you know, you can just undersell the importance of having a, a graph that can show you what the darn camera is doing in any particular axis spin. So I, I'm very enthusiastic. I'm enthusiastic not only because I think this thing looks good, but also because um, I just like Kessler stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As I say, he's very engaged with his users, so it's uh, terrific. He's been a good sponsor and a good uh, sort of friend to a lot of the a lot of friends of this show. So absolutely, and it's yeah, they don't they don't adopt a piece of gear just for fun either. They do it because that person works for them as well. So yes, shout out to him. Definitely an excellent video to watch. And you've also posted another video, Mike, which uh, I think is just cool, just because it's cool. There's a really nice edit of uh, the footage that you and Tyler Ginter shot at um, in on the strip in in Vegas at NAB, which is just a really nice, simple, just cut to music of uh, stuff around the uh, the Bellagio fountains and just life on the strip. And uh, what what is really nice is is just highlighting. You know, quite quite subtly, the gorgeous stuff the HDRX is doing for uh, at night lights. You know that you're exposing for you know blacks and you're exposing for for low light. Yet there's lots of detail in the in the lights, lots of detail in the fountains, and and just the city lights just come to life. Yeah, we um we'll post a link to that Vimeo, but it was uh, our low light test. We did some HDR as you said, and. Um, I think for me it was interesting because there were some shots that we, sh- you know, we deliberately shot high ISO to find out where the limits yeah. were, as we tend to do. And so there were shots that I found a bit grainy. And um, look, I sent them to some friends, and one of them came back and said, "I don't know what the bloody hell you're complaining about. If you tried shooting that on 500 ISO stock, you'd be, la- yeah. you know, completely laughed out of the edit room." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's true, yeah." Uh, plus, of course, we can uh, increasingly these days take this footage in and use uh, really quite good noise reduction tools. Um, well, I don't know why I'm repeating myself, but I've particularly fallen in love with the new ones in Flame, actually, as part of this uh, other thing I've been doing with the um, Gateway. But, yeah, there are good grain reduction, noise reduction tools in a bunch of programs, yeah. and you're getting shots that you don't have any right to get, if you know what I mean. So um, I don't think anyone pretends for a second, I certainly don't, that the red out guns, say the no. Canon uh, SLR for low-light performance. No. But it is um, interesting to see whether it would work. And, of course, being the smaller form factor, we were able to walk around the streets of Vegas and shoot weird Vegas nightlife. Look, I don't think anyone's actually saying that the, uh, that the Epic is... I said, I'm not. They're going to outgun a Canon for low-light performance. But it is really interesting to see how it works, and it's interesting to see um, where it kind of falls over. And, uh, you know, you've got to assess a camera for what it's capable of doing. And, uh, sure. Well, the, I mean, the, but the, the, what you were shooting you, you wouldn't have been possible on, on the one D or any or any of the the higher speed cannons anyway, or the because you were shooting HDRX for a start, but you were also shooting uh, over cranking at whatever 100 frames a second, um, which you know, and at obviously incredibly high resolution that sort of puts the the one D etc out of the loop. You know, that immediately drops to 720p as soon as you over crank. Uh, um, and then I've got all the all the rest of the bollocks that goes along with it, you know, rolling shutter, all the usual stuff. So yes, it, it may be less sensitive, but you know, I guess you can, I guess you can then use HDRX to balance that out a bit, I suppose. You know, can you sort of? Well, HDRX is going to give you a short. I mean, it, on the waterfall stuff, uh, waterfall, the fountain stuff, we were using yeah. it to keep details in the highlights when we really were exposing for. There's quite a lot of contrast range between the bright floodlights that are in the water, causing the water to really. Um, normally just peek out and the surrounding sort of buildings that we were exposing for. 
But look, um, I don't think HDRX is primarily a night shoot thing, but uh, we were keen to use it to see what we could get. And I love holding the detail and not having it clip out. It makes it look much more filmic, I think. Uh, yeah. So I think that was of interest. Yeah. But, you know, sorry, go on. No, it's, it's just a, a nice little subconsciously different look, you know. It's not but, immediate, you know, to something in, it's something you more sort of feel than, than see, really. It's just this very sort of subtle difference that, you know, if you were shown side by side, you go, oh, wow, there is a difference, but you don't immediately go, oh, my God, something's amazing here. It's just a nice little subtle kind of new look. But I have to say the biggest difference between shooting this and shooting on the 1D wasn't stuff to do with HDRX. It's the fact that I was shooting 5K, not 1920 by 1080 with line dropping. Yeah, well, I, again, I mean, if, you, if, if anyone's ever done 720... Even even at seven twenty, you don't have to be looking at these things at, at full resolution to see the issues of aliasing at seven twenty p on a on a DSLR, and they're all the same. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you've got a whatever eight thousand, nine thousand dollar one D or a six hundred buck five fifty D. They all have the incredible the, the, the aliasing on on seven twenty p is abominable. But I've got to say that's where that F three comes in. I mean that F three provides really nice stuff. Without, yeah, it's uh, getting it's pretty close. As I say, that's that's you know you got that real low light level. What it, essentially it is more sensitive for for sure than than the Epic really has to be said. Not necessarily just because it's natively more 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 sensitive, but just because of all the back end stuff that Sony's done to to make that camera really clean in low light. I, I mean, I honestly, especially season the bloody dark that thing. Sony's really pulled a seat up at the table as far as I'm concerned. The F3 yeah. tipped me over because I'm not a big fan of the F35 for sheer financial reasons that yeah. I just find that to be very expensive and perhaps I would feel less that way if I was a multi-billionaire, but and, I'm not. Well, so there and you the size of the thing. Yeah, and the size of the thing and uh, a few other reasons. But yeah, it was when they started going into things like the F3 that I was really moved from... I'm interested, but are you really going to buy a Sony to, wow, Sony's really kicking it. I think they, um, this is definitely the year that Sony has uh, accelerated. I just hope that what's happened with the Japanese uh, tsunami slash um, mm. earthquakey stuff hasn't uh, set them back too much on their heels because obviously it has done some of that as we've discussed in the past. Yeah. Well, the FS100, I believe, is starting to come back a little bit closer to its original release dates. It was definitely looking to be like August, September or something crazy when it was going to release, but I think it's starting to look like um we're going to see those um um you know in a, in a month or so which would be good because can't wait to get our hands on that and have a proper play with it rather than just sort of bolted to a stand on on at nab etc well i've got to um, say um, having seen tyler's me. work i want to get the s-log uh output from the uh, from the sony by the yes. way i should point out that uh that's the workflow we've also been doing on the epic we've been doing a lot of stuff um like we did that uh vegas stuff doing S-Log uh, okay. ProRes 444 because, of course, you've got a 12-bit sensor linear. You want to get that out somehow to do post work on. We've been using Colorista to do our final grading because we don't like doing final grading in um, in Red Cine X. And just for speed of general day production, when we're not doing our high-end stuff, we, um, we go out ProRes 444 10-bit log, which gives us lots of grading latitude. To and Cine Deck or what were you capturing on? No, no, I mean, like, we output the R3Ds oh, output to, the R3Ds. to yeah, ProRes. Gotcha. I mean, I've got so a bunch of stuff. recording to outboard thing. Well, you know, there's something we'll show the everyone's listening maybe next week or the week after. There's a stuff that you shot on Hoover Dam. Yeah. Um, so I've got that, and I'll take that, in this case, DPX 10-bit 
uh, Cineon files. <coughs> so obviously a log format there into Flame to do work on those. Um, but if we were doing just a general workflow, like we're developing a high-end workflow, which I'm really looking forward to talking to about later. But our sort of standard day workflow is um, the HDRXs to a ProRes uh, 444 log file. And I think that's a kick-ass way to move. And then if you're doing more than that, effects work will be DPX 10-bit log in a red log format. So this is really – so the thought behind it is just to be able to start using Epic in the interim while the um, SDK still don't let people grade. Well, you can, you can, you can open – Epic R3D files in, in some grading stations now, can you? Or Absolutely, but if we are doing that in grading stations, like, say, uh, DaVinci or whatever, we'd have to wait for the next version of DaVinci to get the Epic stuff natively. So that will change when that happens. Right. Um, and, you know, but they've you're shown just that doing this because you think it's better anyway. But I'm doing this because right now, if I want to do something for a website, I my workflow is ProRes, yeah. but 10-bit log because it's fast and it's got lots of grading latitude and I like Colorista. Um, if I'm wanting to do effects work, I want to do DPX 10-bit log. So having both formats log gives us a consistency. Um, now, that will change with two things. It'll change with the uh, advent of color correctors that we will get our hands on. So obviously DaVinci, we're very keen to work with them on that. Um, and for that matter, the other companies that will be supporting it. But then in the Flame, I can open it because I already have the, uh, the implementation in uh, the current version of Flame that lets me open up the R3Ds natively, and right. then I could bring them into to Flame. But if I'm not working that way, if I'm working in Nuke or something, I'm not opening the R3Ds natively in Nuke. I could be using Storm, I guess, but I just happen not to be opening those as ProRes because ProRes also we can take into Final Cut. And that's where we're doing the Colorista grade because uh, I'm not doing the Colorista through After Effects. So. And the idea with these files, I guess, is to have as much as possible of the full HDRX range in one file, in a non-R3D file. But we're not talking about our top-end workflow. We're talking about our everyday workflow. Yeah, right. absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah, that we have another workflow for our sort of uh, our major work, uh, our nice work, our um, high-end work. Yes, <laughs> strange person. Okay. Very good. Why am I a strange person? I'm just saying like this. I just want to emphasize because otherwise somebody's going to email me and say, why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? Because you can get more latitude than you can out of that 10-bit log file. And the answer is, well, yeah, we can. Yeah. We're just going for a combination of speed and flexibility. Because if you're not grading the 10-bit log files, you're really grading something that's sort of pre-graded. And I don't like doing that. I like yeah, to keep no, my options absolutely. open. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You don't want to start thinking thinking um, how you're going to grade it before you're really grading it. You want to be able to give your, your grader, grader all the information there is. When we were doing C-Pool with you, we were less had our shit together, basically. So it was, le- it was more like a double handling thing. What yeah. we're trying to do is address the problems. So I think are pretty much serious problems of just making sure that the director's vision finds their way right through to the screen properly and we don't uh, lose some information that could have otherwise been useful because we didn't appreciate what you wanted as the director. Oh, I mean, absolutely. But that was also that was early days for Epic for us yeah. as well. It was literally the first few days out the door. Yeah, you only learn these things by, by doing them. I mean, at the end of the day, that's it's all about, right? Like, you've got to get off your ass and go out there and do some stuff and yep. then it all becomes obvious. <laughs> so <when> you... <laughs> Hey, um, I'm going to let you go because you've got a pack to go away. I can't I tell you how much I appreciate you um, taking time out of your schedule to uh, – and I, my apologies to your family for stealing valuable time away from them. Oh, it's my pleasure. They're, they're, it's, um, I just wish we had a bit more of a, 
a structure with the show, but I think also we haven't really. Again, there's not really. There's not. Luckily, there's not an awful lot happening. That you know, I think it, which is good. It means it's you know business as usual. Everyone's just getting on with it, and I guess Red's getting on with it, and everyone's you know just out there shooting stuff. Besides which, I've got something outside my office that I really have to go and play with. So I'll talk to you later. Go. I need to play. All right. All right. <laughs> so um, as I'm as I'm going and shooting, as I have been doing, I'll just keep posting pictures and location shots from as I'm as I'm away. Shots of my rig, shots of locations and stills I've been shooting on the way. So um, please do, um, Jason. Um, Twitter dot com slash Wingrove. If you want to follow me for stuff along 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 the trails and. Uh, uh, as, as Mike's mentioned, all his videos and things has been um, get obviously get to ethicsguide.com. Yeah, yeah, and we should do a Twitter shout out as we uh, as we like to do. I'm going to do a really unusual Twitter shout out. Can I do one that's just completely left field? Sure. There's there's a guy called Mike who's an astronaut, uh, astro underscore Mike, right. and I just. Just I can't get over how cool that is. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's currently getting ready for a big pool space station simulation repair thing, and um, spacewalk big pool space station thing. Hmm. <sighs> anyway, fun coming over yeah, the space no, he's station. An excellent follow because he's involved in uh, in shuttle missions as well as uh, on, on in ground control. So he's uh, yeah, very cool guy. So that's Astro underscore Mike, um, and of course. There's part of me that just would love to see the word Seymour after that. Anyway, <laughs> but if you also follow, if you go and find, look at his follows or the people who you know his, that he also follows, that yeah. uh, there's a there's that you'll find there's actually quite a, a few sort of guys in, involved in space program and involved in uh, NASA that are also really cool. Well, he's uh, following exactly fourteen people, so they're not yes. actually you know like Buzz Aldrin and it is <laughs> yes, and and I should point out that it's one point two million people following him. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, but yes, yes, uh, he has several other fellow astronauts that he uh, he follows. Mm. Ah, dear, oh dear. Yeah. One of America's finest hours. Um, <laughs> it is. Thanks. All right, Jace, I'll let you go, man. Thanks, uh, guys. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks when you get back, hopefully. Yeah, will do. See you. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.